Good morning. It's good to see you all. Thank you. Um, I know if I cry, you won't hear me well. So I'll attempt not to do that. We've been uh, working on our stories and how it intersects with God's stories and how other people in the community where their story is with God. The EPC does this when they first brought us in as a church to quiz us about what what they examine us is the word they would use. Our examination was our story, our testimony. Mike has given his. BG, out of the blue, gave his. Mike and I agreed that I was going to come do this today. Then BG, in a text, I read that he would be available, and I went, we'll let BG preach. Well, that didn't work out. (laughs) But I think it is God's will for me to be here today to speak, to just tell my story. Now, what's different is it will go out to people on the Internet, where oftentimes we're in a small group, and I'd probably say more things than I will here today to protect people. But I'll still try to be real to you of what has happened in my life and how the Lord has moved in it and has consistently pursued me to do his will and I fail oftentimes miserably. So we have one scripture today, John 10.10. The thief cometh not but but for to steal and kill and to destroy. And I come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And on on the scripture in the NIV is to the full, but I like the word abundantly. It's gathered around sheep and reference to us as sheep. And I don't particularly care for being called a sheep. Um, How many here, I believe Gail, have actually worked with sheep? One, two, three. You didn't as a vet? Come on, Blake. Not very much. Well, one of my first jobs was working with the sheep. I worked in the state of Montana, and I would hold the sheep in my hands as it would lay it on its back, and we'd shave its neck to stick a a syringe into it to bleed it for, to make medium for, to test for strep. And that sheep was very compliant. Didn't complain. Just laid there and let this needle get stuck in its neck. That was my experience with sheep. They would wait for me to feed them. And the poor guys on occasion didn't get fed. So anyway, 
The main thing is, is the thief comes to steal, to kick, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I was reminded as we read this, and I'm going to talk about Ange first. When my daughter was in the hospital at Tripler in Hawaii, after having her daughter Savannah, I'd flown in from Montana, walk into the hospital, a pink hospital on the hill. Very strange. But that's where my daughter supposedly is. I'm walking in to see her as they're pulling her out of the room. And she's on a bed. And the nurses and the doctors are in a scurry. And she goes, hi, Dad. And they go, oh, we'll be back. As she was bleeding out. That happened after the birth of Savannah. It was a cesarean section. And she struggled through a couple surgeries. And she had a um, MRSA inside of her. And the doctor got down to uh, coming and slumping in a chair and saying, you know, we're down to the 3%. They weren't sure she was going to survive. And I, in my infinite wisdom, because I was on a schedule, I had to go. But I believed that Angie was going to make it. And we know today that she did. One of the interesting things through this time is a pastor stopped in and prayed over her. And she stopped him when he inferred that God was the reason that she was sick and in bed. She wouldn't join in such a prayer. The above verse, the verse is, I believe the reason why she believes that. I've never talked to her about what specific verse caused her to believe that. But God is not here to harm us. We do that ourselves. But it was interesting. She said to me, Dad, you can go. I'll be all right. And I feel like that story encompasses how my life has been. It'll be all right. This is a mess. Unsure of what's going on around us. I was born into a family of four children. An older sister, two brothers. My parents were both born in here in Helena. Betty and Harold, some of you know them. My grandparents on both sides lived here in town. My mother's parents were both Montanans by birth. Morris, my grandfather from Kalispell. My grandma, Irma, though we call her Grandma Sanford, was from the Lewistown Moore Winifred area, same as Blake. 
He, her father was a Methodist pastor. Not the Methodists we know today of more liberal thinking. This is no, no dancing, no drinking, no playing cards. Strict. My grandmother drank, danced, and played cards. <laughs> she was the organist at the church, at the first Christian church here in town. When I first came to First Pres, I thought she was playing the organ. It wasn't her, it was Marilyn. I knew my grandmother had died years before. But here she was playing, I went, oh, that's not my grandmother. So it was a blessing, to, even today, to hear you, Marilyn, play. You um, remind me of my grandmother. She was a good woman. Even if she drank, smoked, smoked, <laughs> danced, and played cards. They had two large organs in their home along with the piano in the living room. Everything was in the living room and they would play all the time. So that's part of where that musical side of the family comes from over there. My, she was a church organist. My grandfather was the, the choir director. On my dad's side, his family came from Denmark and Norway. My grandmother was born north of the Arctic Circle in Narvik, Norway. When she traveled to America, which I find hard to believe, she as a young woman would pack her bags, leave her family, and come here. But the last thing she packed, as the story is told, is her Bible. She met my grandfather at a Methodist, or Norwegian Methodist church. If you can imagine that. <laughs> as Lutherans like that. And um, they went on to have family here in Helena. My grandma, we called Bestamore. When you went to that church off in Lake John, you didn't hear language like we did today. It always had a Scandinavian brogue everywhere. I was raised in that church. I learned the liturgy by syllables. Big church. It had many, many people. It was everybody dressed in suits. The governor went there. He served the congregation. He came over to the house. It was a what's, who's who of Helena, businessmen. The problem is, is as a 12-year-old, I was put into confirmation. And they get to the end and they go, you need to state your faith. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I don't believe this stuff. It makes no sense to me. But when I have my family, which includes my aunts and uncles on my dad's side, all of them, and all the cousins, yeah, like, I'm going to stand up and go, I'm out. I need to wear that white robe and the red carnation. But I didn't believe. 
It made no sense. My father, since he would sing in many places, we got introduced to the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church here in town. So I got to see different churches and how they operated besides the, uh, the first Christian church where my grandparents were. And they were all much different. So I was used to seeing different things, but it, it, it still made no sense to me. But somewhere along the line, I went to, I can't remember whether my dad went to a charismatic church, Faith Tabernacle, here in town, because he heard this guy at a funeral. He said, we need to go. So we'd go to Sunday school, and then we would go to church over this other church. Now, my sister and brother, who are older, had left the home already, thinks it was all about my mother. But that's not a fact. It was about my father took us, two younger children, to this other church. And it was a different church, being charismatic. But in there, there was a testimony that I went to, and I don't know if it was Youth for Christ, there was these different groups, but they brought a guy in from Michigan, General Motors, and he gave his testimony, and he said something that made sense to me, that touched my life. And I hear it today still quite often. He said, all my friends, we are big executives at GM, we have attained abundance, and my friends are killing themselves. Suicide. If this is all there is, why do I need to go on? That affected me. There has to be more than just the riches of this earth. And somewhere along the line, and my mother would encourage me to, uh, matter of fact, along the way, I, mean, I, I, I was asked directly, do you want to become a Christian? Yes, I do. Not because of my parents or my grandmother, or family, because I, I recognized I needed Christ. And I accepted him. Now I wish that was the easy, good part of the story, which it is, because I got my salvation there. But then life continues to get messy. How does that happen? You know, I came back to church once and at that church and a lady says to me, interestingly enough, she says, welcome back to the flock. And I went, I didn't know I left the flock. <laughs> now what she meant by that and what I interpreted that to be are miles apart. She meant no harm. But me being who I was at that time, that was a big deal to me. That felt like rejection, actually, to me. 
In college, I went and learned. This is, I tell this story quite often. It's about the only thing I learned. I took humanities, and uh, there's a guy named Lauren Isley, and he said, the the unexpected universe, and a spider only understands its web. It doesn't know the world outside of itself. It only knows that. And I go, that makes sense to me also. There is such a greater world for us to have, the abundance for us to have, but oftentimes we sit in this little cocoon thinking we will be absorbed by a new car, a big house. And once again, where did that lead to? So I've had big turning points in my life. Being married, having children, divorce, remarriage. Each one is a long story within itself. But in the first year of my second marriage, my wife had a bout with cancer. One more time, I'm not the sick one, supposedly, right? She has cancer. She gets treatment. She goes to the University of Utah. And I remember getting yelled at it by a doctor when I was, who's going to pay for this? And he let me have it pretty good. And I don't remember how the bills all worked, but it wasn't much. But at that time, that was 10% of the people that had that cancer would survive. We would walk into places and they would be, look at us like, you're still here? So you have a divorce and then you have a second marriage and it seems like everybody might be leaving here. <laughs> That's how I interpret, you know, took that in. How did I conceptualize that? And it was painful. But as you know, Janice survived almost 40 years of marriage with me. And another bout of cancer. But we are able to encourage others that have such disease. I'm I'm able to encourage others who have been through divorce. And I remember Mike Kalis specifically saying it in a session meeting, so I'm not supposed to probably, maybe not supposed to say it, but he goes, I hate divorce. Because we know all that goes along with it. There's pain and suffering from everybody. Nobody gets free from it. So, my oldest son, who we would spend a lot of, give him lots of attention, in the dinner table, I, don't, I hadn't planned on saying this, but oftentimes you won't talk about a bad parent. So there would be me, my wife would sit here, I think John sat here, and then jo- Sam sat over here, and Angie sat over here. And the conversation was between me and John. Boom, 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 boom. He was very interesting. You'd never hear a peep out of Angie, if you could believe that. Nothing. 
because the conversation was so interesting right here with this oldest child. But the unexpected universe for me was when he went to school. He came home and said, Dad, I'm in trouble. I need to see somebody. And I took him to a counselor, and the counselor went, he needs to go into treatment. And he talked about how he had a gun in his head. And going to treatment as painful as it seemed like it was going to be, was one of the best things that ever happened in my life. A week, listening to people tell stories and going, that's just not right. And then when we tell my story and they'd shake your head, that's not right. And I learned at that point that I didn't, I didn't deal with feelings well, to say the least. I was a child of an alcoholic. I was a... I fit, they could describe me in a book, is the best way to describe it. I was a clown. An example would be, I was at a family gathering and my oldest was sitting there with me and everybody's laughing at what I'm saying. And he turns to me and says, Dad, you're mean. And he was right but I could humor him in my meanness. Now when I speak of that, it sounds like I degrade somebody, and I don't. I reconciled with my father. His father was an alcoholic. He beat him. My father never beat me. Never. But to avoid that, he was distanced. He did what he could. He was a believer. And it was for me to figure it out. That's how I feel. I've met others in the church that have gone through this. My good friend Greg. We, get to understand ourselves better if we go through an assessment and learn how to forgive and learn I'm part of the problem it took me a long time to figure that out I'm part of this problem. It is me who is reacting like this. I can't blame Jan for saying something in my word. No, that's on me. But at Family Week, I learned a lot. And if you have an opportunity, I would highly recommend it. Because they teach you there about not being God. It's been a wild ride. My mother, her faith was very simple. Very simple. She trusted God 
She was not wound up about anything. She would pray over you. She had people that were healed under her. She was a powerful lady of Christ. And she wouldn't be that without my father, without my grandparents, without the Lord moving in her and her seeking him out. She seeked the Lord out. She taught us how to be. She showed my daughter how to live. She cared for her. When I failed miserably. We hope that we can be that for each other. We hope that we can be Christ-like. Not squabble like a bunch of chickens. Be more land-like. We have the great shepherd. He has touched me. Without my mother, I wouldn't be here. She was patient. She was kind. She was childlike in her faith. I can use more of that. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, or love. These three, but the greatest things is charity. Faith, I've learned, is a gift. Hope has been instilled in me. It is one of the best things that God has given to me. The hope that he is in control, that I'm not in control. The hope and the peace that he gives me is undeserving. If you are missing that, I would pray that to reach deep into your soul, that you may receive his hope, his blessing. Your children's hope. So one of the stories I didn't say is at some point during my mess of a life, I said to God, I can't do it anymore. I'm not in control. These children are not mine. They are yours. They are yours to care for. I can't do it. They weren't raised in the church. And he's done marvelous, in my humble opinion. He is my strength. He is the great I am. I pray that love abounds, 
that hope abounds in you. All good things come through him. He is not here to steal and destroy. He's here to give you peace and love. Lord, I ask that you bless each of us. That these words may have meaning to others. I thank you for what you have done for me. Forgive me of my sins, my transgressions. Hope that we may learn. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.